you, choir. Let's give them a hand for their great leading us in worship today. We are continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke, so if you'll take your bulletins, there's a listening guide you can follow along. Have you ever struggled with doubts, disappointments in life? I think we all have. You're either entering into a time of discouragement or coming out of one. Today we're going to talk about John the Baptist and how he enters on the scene with such excitement, but how his life takes a turn that he didn't expect. And because of that, doubts and discouragements arise. This week I was vacuuming with my son Lincoln. He's the year and a half redhead. And so we were vacuuming and he likes to help daddy vacuum. And one thing that he doesn't realize is it actually slows me down tremendously with him, his hand, because, you know, his hand's so small. So what I haven't told him is I let you do it because you're part of the family. I love seeing that smile. And even if it slows daddy down a little bit, it's, it's something I enjoy seeing. Now, why would I let him do that? Because he's part of the family, right? But in his mind, he thinks he's doing all the work. He thinks he is doing such a good job and making daddy happy. And as I was thinking about this this week, you know, we're, we're kind of like that with, with God sometimes. We're like, God, you know, I've been faithful for this many years and I've done this and I've taught the Sunday school class and I was there for the kids when no one showed up. And, and where, where has it got me or, you know, what, what, what has it meant to my life? And, you know, we'd respond different ways. But one thing we forget is we may be the little kid with a hand on the vacuum, but God's the one who's really doing the work. He supplies the energy, the life, the strength, the opportunity. And that was a, just a good reminder to me. And like a year and a half old child, we have great faith and great anticipation, but sometimes we can lack the perspective. And we're going to see John the Baptist today, how God had used him so many ways, and he's in a really dark place in his life. And I don't believe he has unbelief, but I believe there's doubts that arise. Like, why am I in this situation? What's going on? So if you guys will just lean into God's word today, we're going to talk about how to deal with doubt and discouragement. These are the twin challenges of the soul that we deal with on a regular basis, doubt and discouragement. Doubt is not knowing why. There's a question mark. And discouragement, you thought life would turn out better than it has. You thought the job would have been better, the marriage would have been better, the family, the list goes on, and it's not met expectations. So we're going to ask the big question, what do you do when your doubt is louder than your faith? What do you do when your doubt is louder than your faith? So if you will look in Luke 7, we're going to start in verse 18. Then the disciples of John reported to him all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour he cured many of their infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. 
when the messengers of John had departed, Jesus began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparel, apparelled and live in luxury are in the king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, and I say to you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom is written. Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Let's pray. Father, help us to enter into John's story. Help us to fill his doubt and his discouragement. And help that give us insight into our own lives and our own soul when we face disappointment. And know that when our doubt is louder than our faith, it's time for us just to listen and to hear the voice of God speaking. Holy Spirit, reveal these truths to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we enter into the scene. John, we find out from Matthew, the parallel account, he's been thrown into prison. And you can imagine this rugged wilderness man that's been living out in the broad free, confined to a prison. How many outdoorsmen and women do we have? And you guys love the outdoor. Could you imagine being confined to a small room, a prison cell? That That would be so hard to imagine. And John finds himself in this place of what is going on. Um, I'm announcing Jesus and the Messiah and look where I find myself in. So we're going to take a little look into his life and then we're going to directly look at your life. How do you deal with times of, of doubt, times of discouragement? The first point is this. Don't doubt. Don't be afraid to come to Jesus with your doubts and discouragements. Don't be afraid to come to Jesus with your doubts and discouragement. Look at verse 18. It says, then the disciples of John reported to him. Concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus. So here's the idea. John the Baptist was a man's man. I mean, he lived out in the wilderness. Gentlemen, he ate bugs and honey. You talk about the ultimate outdoorsman. He lived off the land. Bugs and honey. Well, I guess bugs have protein. I guess if you're going to eat bugs, you might as well dip them in honey, right? I, I, don't, I don't know how that went. You know, was the bug dipping the honey? That was his nugget sauce. I don't, I don't know what he did. But John the Baptist was a man's man, and he didn't back down from anybody. In fact, the reason why he finds himself in prison is he confronted King Herod about taking his brother's wife, and he said, listen, you can't take your brother's wife. That's committing adultery, and he was in his face. And you, you ever heard the saying, hell hath no fury than a woman scorn? Well, John the Baptist got on the bad side of um, Herodias. And there came a time in an event where her daughter was doing a dance party, and Herod liked it. He was so pleased, he told the young girl, he said, I'll give you whatever you want up to half my kingdom. And what did she ask for? She went to her mom, the woman's corn, and she said, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So you see where John is at. He is in prison awaiting his upcoming execution. And I don't know about you, but if I had given my life to serve Jesus, if I had heard the voice of God from heaven and all this miraculous stuff, and all of a sudden I found myself in prison because of a dancing woman, wouldn't you be a little discouraging? Like, really? I mean, I thought someone big would take me out. A dancing woman made me in prison? I mean, I would be struggling. I don't know about you. 
So we look at this, but one thing that emerges out of the text is John being such a bold man. He wasn't afraid to come through with his weaknesses and his doubts. He sent two of his disciples. Now, these are the disciples that he had trained and mentored. These are disciples that he had pointed to Jesus and said, this is the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I mean, he had, he had told all about Jesus, and now he's sending these same disciples that he had taught. What's going on with Jesus? I thought that he was going to usher into the kingdom. Do you remember John's preaching? I believe it was Luke 4. The axe is laid to the root of the trees, and judgment's coming, and all of a sudden Jesus is preaching love. So he's taking a step back like, I thought the axe was going to be laid to the root of the trees. What's going on? And something John didn't fully see clearly, just like the Old Testament prophets didn't have the full picture, is Christ has two advents. The first advent was him to come come to die for the sins of the world. The second advent is when he comes again in judgment, and he's going to judge all the nations. And that, that was hard because they were looking towards the cross. We're looking back at the cross, so it makes more sense to us. So John was struggling. But he was willing to be authentic with his his struggles. He wasn't willing to just hide it and I can't be honest. And it's like when you struggle with your faith, who do you talk to? John was willing to talk to the people that he had taught and he was willing to be authentic and real. Many of you know about Charles Spurgeon, famous pastor. He's, He's considered the greatest modern era type pastor preacher. He's like the preacher of preachers. In fact, he was so gifted that pastors the following Sunday, his sermons would be printed. And the following Sunday across England, pastors would preach his same message verbatim. I guess that's before plagiarism was an issue. So um, Spurgeon suffered with depression. That's one thing you probably don't know. Throughout most of his adult life, he, he really had such depression. And he would send the elders and the deacons a letter sometimes on the weekend saying, I'm doubting my salvation. I don't know if I can preach this Sunday. Please find someone to fill the pulpit. So could you imagine if the leadership council, Arden first, I sent them a text message and said, I'm really concerned about my salvation. You're going to need someone to fill in. Ask Adam, ask whoever they're available. They'd be like, well, what kind of pastor is this? That he's doubt- I mean, but real men of faith and real women of faith sometimes have doubts and have discouragements. So back to Spurgeon, at 22 years old, he was pastoring what was considered a megachurch for that time, a lot of people. And he had twin babies at home. And he, he did this uh, crusade where there's this huge packed out audience. It was overflowing. And because Spurgeon was so gifted, a lot of the other people were jealous of him in the ministry. So they had set troublemakers throughout the, the meeting. And whenever Spurgeon got up to preach, they yelled out, fire, fire. And there was just a mass exodus of people running out the building. And this was in the Surrey Gardens Music Hall. And unfortunately, seven people lost their life and 28 people were severely injured. So Spurgeon sank into a deeper depression and he just felt so discouraged. And his wife thought that he would never preach again. Fast forward to age 33. He's from 22 on. He's dealt with all this and people have criticized him. So at age 33, he became so sick that he inherited what's called Bright's disease. Some of you may have heard of it. He also suffered with gout, rheumatism, and neuritis. He was so, in so much pain at the young age of 33 that he could, couldn't preach one-third of the time. One-third of the time he'd have to sit out. So he suffered with this, but God used them greatly. And if you look at John the Baptist, you look at different characters throughout history in 
church history, God has used some of the greatest and brightest, but they also had great challenges. They suffered with depression. They suffered with anxiety, but yet God still used them. So if you ever thought God may not can use me because I, I have depression, anxiety, I struggle, if you just look no further than Spurgeon, if you just look no further than John the Baptist who finds himself in prison asking, what's going on? So the thing is, is we need each other. We need people to surround us and encourage us. And that brings us to point number two. Don't isolate yourself from community when you're experiencing the dark night of the soul. I love verse 19 where John calls two of his disciples. And he sends them to Jesus and said, you know, are you the coming one? The number one thing I would encourage you is when you're facing a crisis, when you're facing doubt, when you're facing discouragement. Do most people run towards God and run towards the church or do they run away? I've been in ministry for over 20 years now. And throughout my short time of doing ministry, uh, most people, when they have crisis, they don't run to God. They run away from God. And they begin to question God and they begin to say, why God? But I want you to look at John the Baptist. Did he run away from God or did he run to God? It would be so easy to say, I've given my life to serve and look, I'm in prison now. I'm getting ready to be beheaded. So when trouble knocks on your door, don't run away from God or the people of God. Run towards the people of God. So John the Baptist, he was having some questions. And I wrote down a few of the things that he may have been thinking about. Has had his ministry been in vain or not? He had come to be the forerunner and now he's in prison. Was his ministry in vain? He didn't see change come quickly. You ever want change to happen yesterday, but it's slow? Welcome to John the Baptist's world. He didn't see change happen right away. Um, Where was the judgment of God that he announced? Jesus came preaching love. Where was the judgment? Jesus was ushered on the stage, and you read through the, the Gospels. Whenever Jesus comes on the stage and he's baptized, John is ushered off the stage. So what's the deal with that? Did you know that some people struggle the way you do? They just don't know it. One thing I admire about John is he wasn't ashamed to share about his weaknesses. It's been said that whenever you share your strengths, it produces competition. But whenever you share your weaknesses, it produces fellowship. I'll say that again. Whenever you you share your strengths, what you're good at, it produces competition. But whenever you share your weaknesses, it produces fellowship. So let's draw an example. You ever met somebody that always bragged about how good they were in something? I just had that this week recently. There's a guy in Waynesville that loves pickleball, and he's in his 70s, and he's like the best pickleball player. Anybody played pickleball before? It's an interesting sport. So anyways, he's talking trash to me about how he can beat this 30-something-year-old, and he's better. And So I'm praying to God that he'll give me the chance to humble him, not in word, but in action. <laughs> so we're going to need to work on my pickleball game. But then you see other people... That they don't talk about the strengths, they talk about their weaknesses. Like, man, how was your day? Instead of saying, oh, I'm good, brother. Amen. Bless God. They said, you know, I've had a tough week. Oh, really? Me too. It produces the me too moment. Really? You've struggled? I'm struggling too. So realize it's okay to be authentic. It's actually not just okay. It's, It's what God wants us to be real. Not that you air your dirty laundry, but that you're open. Some of us are so guarded It's like the rock of Gibraltar. Nobody can get through. It's like, I can't read you. I can't understand you. And that's why we need community. John the Baptist had a community. Even in prison, he found time for community. Think about that. He's in prison, and he's still connecting with his disciples. 
So what I want to encourage you, if you're not in community, find community. And as uh, just a little preview, Arden first, we're going to be launching some new community stuff. Once summer is finished, we're going to be having a 40-day emphasis on community coming up. So that's a preview for the fall. So the idea is we want 100% of everyone in community. Because if you're not in community, who do you talk to about your struggles? Who do you share with? Who builds you up? And a lot of people say, well, you know, Timothy, I can connect with God on the golf course, um, hunting. You know, I can connect to him watching NASCAR on Sunday, you know, me and God and talking about the race. And, yeah, you can connect with God everywhere. But I, on your listening, God, I got seven reasons why you need community. The first one is this. You were made for community. In Genesis 1 and 2, God created humankind in whose image? In his own image, right? The Imagio Dei. And did you know that God is a community in and of himself? You have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that have been together forever. They're, they're, they're a holy trinity. So we're made in the image. Number two, you can't reach your full potential apart from the people that God has placed in your life. Jesus didn't. Neither can you. I believe that every person here, Arden first, God's purpose for you is so big you can't do it alone. You may try to do it alone, but you cannot fulfill God's full purpose when you're fully alone. Number three, you can do more together in community than you can do alone. It's the, the idea of spiritual synergy. Two or more people working together it multiplies the results. Jesus had community and he was perfect. So why do, why do you think you and I can go without it if Jesus was in community? A very practical number five, you can't fulfill the one another's of the Bible alone. I have a, a family member down in Florida and he says, you know, I have church in, in, in my, my living room. We sit out. We watch the birds. We go out on the deck. And my wife and I do Bible study together. And I'm like, that's great. But are you saying that you have all the spiritual gifts listed in the Bible? <laughs> that's, that's, you know, when you come to a church, we're all gifted differently. And we're all like these stones that come together that make a building. And none of us is fully gifted like a church. I mean, all of you have gifts that I don't have and vice versa. So you need the community. Number six, your gifts, talents, and abilities were meant for the community, not you alone. So if God has given you a gift to build up the community and you only use it to build up yourself, what does that say? And finally, community is not optional for the disciple of Jesus. If you're following Christ as a Christ follower and he was in community, how can you say you're fully following Christ apart from community? It's kind of like this. I said this in the 930 service. It's like someone saying... Timothy, uh, well, let's, let's put it this way. I like you, or it's more like this. I, I like your spouse, but I don't like you. <laughs> Have you ever said, heard anyone say, I like you, but I don't like your spouse? It's like, we're a package deal. You cannot like me and not like my spouse, right? <laughs> so how can you say, I love Jesus, but I don't like his bride, the church? The two going together. So, and you're like, well, the, the church is imperfect, right? Welcome to the club. You are as well. So we need to be realized that we need community. Number three, allow God to show himself to you both in word and deed. Allow God to show himself to you both in word and deed. Look at verse 21. And that very hour he cured many infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits, and many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. Now here's what's interesting in this text as you struggle with it. Have you ever asked Jesus for an answer and he never gave you an answer? It's like God's silent. So here you have John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin. And Jesus was like John's right-hand man. And John asked him an honest question 
Are you the one? And Jesus doesn't outright answer it. He says, I want you to look at the things I'm doing and listen to what I'm saying. So he said, I want you to see. Now, what, what did the disciples tell John? What did they see? All of a sudden, blind people that had no sight, now they see. People that couldn't walk, crippled people, are now walking around, dancing. Deaf people that had no sense of hearing, all of a sudden the hearing aids are gone. They can hear now. And by the way, uh, that, those dead people that I was telling you about, they're, they're up. He rose people from the dead. So what did they hear? There was one thing they heard, the gospel being preached to who? The poor. And what is, what is good news for the poor? Well, first of all, good news to the poor. And by the way, we all should be poor in spirit, realize our need for God. But the good news for the poor, number one, is you're going to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Your sins can be forgiven. You can have this intimate fellowship with him. But also, you're not going to be poor forever. You may be struggling here on this earth. There may be times where you go without food and you're asking God to help you. But you know what? When you sit around the kingdom of heaven and you sit at that table... You sit as sons and daughters at the banquet feast, and he will feed you forever, and you'll be with his presence. So look at the person next to you and say, you're not going to be poor forever. Not going to be poor forever. How many of you guys have Facebook? Raise your hand. All right, some of you. Okay, younger people, Instagram, Snapchat. Okay. Well, you know, it's like a lot of times we look at people's Facebook news feed, the Instagram, the Snapchat, whatever, um, and... We're like, man, that person, they always seem very happy. The, the, the spouse, there's always like the perfect family photo op. They're eating out every night, and here I am sitting with my ramen noodle, and my dogs are barking, my kids are running all over the place. How, how is this fair? You know, and we begin to compare ourselves. And here's the challenge. We are looking at someone's highlight reel, and sometimes it's been edited and the best photo. I mean, no one puts... I can't say no, and most people don't put their worst on, on, online. They put their best. So here's the thing. Don't compare someone's highlight reel with your day-to-day reality because you don't know what goes on after that photo. You don't know about the knockdown, drag-out fight they had the night before. They just don't show it. So realize that in community, it allows you to see people as they are, and you realize, you know what? I'm not the only one with issues. I'm not the only one who's not perfect. We all need this together. Amen. So Jesus said, listen to the things I've spoken and also the things that you've seen I want you to report. And one thing um, Brother Bob Machen brought up in the first service, we had a little discussion. He said one thing to observe in this text is that Jesus spoke John's language fluently. He said that, you know, John the Baptist, if you think about John, was he, was he kind of a quiet guy or was he a loud guy? Pretty loud, right? Very brash. Um, I was joking with the first service. I said he was like the old, ultimate homeschool kid. He lived in the wilderness. I mean, he ate crazy foods, and he was loud. And um, it was very different. So all of a sudden, he ends up in prison. And Jesus says, instead of just giving John an answer, I want you to report the things that you've seen and heard. John didn't need a big theological answer. He knew the truth. And as I said, he, it wasn't an unbelief. Unbelief means you lose faith. John still had faith. He just had question marks. And Jesus answered those question marks. But did you know that Jesus can speak your language fluently? Some of you are a little hard-headed. I'm not going to point to anybody. 
But some of you are a little hard-headed, so God has to speak a little louder to some of us. Some of you are sensitive and quiet, so God speaks in a whisper to you. You ever notice that God can speak in the language that you can hear? Isn't that amazing? You're like, did he call me hard-headed? Well, I I didn't, but if the Spirit speaks to you. (laughs) So, there may be someone that's here today, and you're single. And all of your friends are getting married. And you're excited for them, but there's a little pain in your heart. Because you're like, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Why, God? You know, all these good catches are gone, and I'm going to be the the lady still looking. There's some people here that you're in a, a job, and it seems like everyone else gets the raise and the promotion except you. And you're like, I've been faithful to the company all these years, and I mean, I have just as much education experience, and... You know, because I'm not political, I don't get the advancement and you're struggling. And I I would imagine there's some retirees that you said, you know, I can't wait. I've saved up money. I'm ready to just enjoy retirement days. And instead of vacationing, you spend more time in the doctor's office. Instead of just enjoying life, you have more aches and pains than you ever did before. But no one told you about this. They didn't tell you this in retirement planning that what's going on. So what do you do when these questions emerge? I think the answer is you you have to listen. For those of us who are more sensitive, God often speaks in a still, small voice. For those of us who are harder to get through, God speaks in a language we understand him. So the next time you're going through a test, never forget that God can use your test as a testimony. Never forget that he takes the hardest times And he can turn them into the greatest times because he's with you. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I think he was preaching to me. (laughs) When it's quiet in church, sometimes, you know, you're wondering. Number four, don't allow disappointment to derail your passionate love for Jesus. Don't allow disappointment to derail your passionate love for Jesus. Look at verse 23. It says, blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Blessed is he. Now, how can you be offended because of Jesus? Well, if you've given your whole life to Jesus and you find yourself in a a bad situation because you're following him, church history is full of examples of people that were beheaded, persecuted, mocked, abandoned by their family. Even today, people in other countries are losing their lives and disowned by their family because they follow Jesus. Now, you probably won't hear that on TBN, but it's the truth. Because you follow Jesus, you're not always promised easy life, but you are promised that he will be with you. And Jesus said, don't be offended. And I I don't know what happened when the disciples came back. I can only speculate, but it's my belief that when the disciples came back to John, his disciples, and told him there was a fire that was rekindled. Those question marks were answered. And he said, you know what? I don't know all the reason why. When I can't trace his hand, I will trust his heart. When I don't know why life is throwing me bad situations, I just got to trust that God will work through. I read the story about a man named Alexander Sloshkin. He was a Russian author, and he's on Time magazine here. And Alexander basically was in a concentration camp. He was in this horrible concentration camp in Siberia. Life was miserable. So he found himself digging and doing all this horrible 
menial labor. And he got to the point where Alexander said, I'm just going to give up. What's the point? He had seen others, other concentration camp prisoners give up. And then they would be beaten to death when they would refuse to give, get up. They'd be, give their life. They would just give up. So all of a sudden he throws his shovel down. And he kneels down with his head stooped down. And next to him he feels a presence. And at this moment he thinks this is the end of my life. This is one of the soldiers that's going to kill me when I don't get up. But it actually was another fellow prisoner, an older gentleman. And he didn't say a word to Alexander. He simply made a symbol of the cross in the dirt. And he walked away. When Alexander saw the symbol of the cross and it represented his Christian faith, all of a sudden courage sparked within him. He got up, kept working, and he, he realized that Jesus, too, went through suffering. But Jesus didn't give up. Jesus persevered to the end. So he kept doing what he did not like to do. And as history would unfold, he got released out of the concentration camp. He became a prolific, famous author. And he talked about the atrocities of being in a concentration camp. But then he also pointed people to the cross. Next time you're suffering, next time you're depressed, next time you don't know why, I want you to see the cross. Because Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. Jesus knows what it's like to have people turn on him. But you know what? He was faithful. And if you sometimes don't know, does God really care? Does God really know? Look no further than the cross. Amen. Another way you could say it is don't doubt in the dark what God has revealed in the light. Let's look at the things that God revealed in the light. John had seen heaven open as he was baptizing Jesus. And what happened? The Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. He heard the audible voice of God. So think about that. This is the person that experienced the Trinity and he still had doubts. And my friend Steve Scoggins says it like this. And I put a quote from him. He said, Jesus never rebuked a sincere questioner. He never rebuked a sincere questioner. Only the Sadducees and Pharisees who had trick questions did he rebuke. You ever think about that? Whenever someone came to Jesus with a sincere question, he never rebuked them. Only the ones who were trying to play games with them. So here's some practical tips. If you are in a season of doubt, there's more question marks than answers, or you're discouraged. Life is not what you thought it would be. Here's some practical tips. It's best not to make any decisions when you're in the fog. So many of us, we don't know what to do. We're in the fog and we rush to make a decision. Have you ever done that and regretted the decision you made? Because you lack perspective. Don't do what's next while you're in the fog. It's best not to make sense of your life when you're lacking perspective. It's like my little son Lincoln with a vacuum cleaner. He sees what's in front of him, but he doesn't realize daddy's the one vacuuming. He lacks perspective. Don't try to reinterpret your life when you're depressed. It's probably not a good idea. And just another practical step. Don't move until God moves in your situation. Probably the most poor decisions of my life, if I would take time to reflect, and probably your life, I moved ahead of God. He didn't tell me what to do next, but I was such in the dark. I wanted to at least step out of the dark as far as, you know, discouraging situations. So whatever God told you to do last, continue to do that until God tells you what to do next, even if it's hard. 
God blesses you when you persevere, even when all the evidence is the contrary. And finally, number five, and we close to this point, and this is my favorite point. Luke, the author Luke, saves the best for last. Never forget this one truth. Jesus still believes in you, even when you don't believe in yourself. In verses 24 through 28, we have John's disciples coming to Jesus. And what, what's beautiful is when the disciples go back to John, Jesus speaks to the crowd. And he said, what did you go out to, in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? And the answer is no. Uh, you know, this little reed represents instability. John was stable. He wasn't instable. What did you go out to see? Someone in Versace clothes? I didn't say Versace. That's Timothy Brown translation. But, you know, decked out in a kingly apparel? No. John was wearing, you know, camel hair. Well, what did you go out to see? And here, here, here's the beautiful part of the text. Jesus said, there's no one greater, no prophet greater that's ever come out of a woman than John the Baptist. So when John was in his lowest point, Jesus said, you're still the greatest. You're the greatest prophet. So you're like, well, how is that? How is that possible? How can Jesus believe in me when I have sin, discouragement, doubt, all this? What we sometimes forget is God's perspective looking at us. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone, not of works. So John at this time, he can't do many major works because he's in prison. So he's not looking at his works. But John the Baptist had faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what happens when a woman or when a man places their faith in Christ. He erases all of your sin. So when God looks at you, your identity, he sees you as pure, blameless, without fault. And you're like, well, how did Paul say he was the chief of sinners? Well, he was. From his perspective here on earth, he was struggling. And that's where this may help you as an interpretation. When you read through the Bible, there's always two perspectives. Some perspective is when God gives you a veil, his, his view looking down. This is how God sees you through Christ. And then it gives you the human here and now practical I'm struggling perspective. Which reality are true? Well, both are true. Which reality matters the most? God does, right? So even though you may be in depression from God's reality, there's blue sky ahead of you. Even though you may be discouraged right now from God's reality, he's got a place prepared for you. Jesus said, in my father's house, there's many rooms. In your reality right now, life may not be full of happiness. It may not be fun. But Jesus said, I'm preparing something amazing for you. And by the way, I saved the best for last. You remember the story of turning water to wine? They, they marveled and said, you've saved the best till now. Well, that's how Jesus operates. He gives you what is good, and it just gets better and better, and he saves the best for last. And that doesn't mean you won't have persecution. John the Baptist still got his head off, but did Jesus save the best for last? Absolutely. Because when you see from Jesus' perspective, he rewrites everything. And he gives you an eternal perspective, not just an earthly perspective. From an earthly perspective, this was a failure. But from God's perspective, John the Baptist was the greatest prophet ever born. Now, Jesus makes an unusual statement in here. He said, but the person, John the Baptist is the greatest, but the person who's the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. And you're like, wait a second. Jesus said John the Baptist is the greatest prophet, but those who are in the kingdom are even greater than John the Baptist. How is that possible? Well, it's like this. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. He was the one paving the way for Jesus. He was looking to the cross. 
but he didn't get to experience what we experience. As a Christian, God lives inside of us. Now, John was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, and he did have some supernatural encounters, but he was in the old covenant. We're in the new covenant. John the Baptist didn't have a full understanding of the cross. He knew that Jesus would be the sacrificial lamb. He said, he said that, you know, the lamb of God, but he didn't understand it to the way we understand it, that Jesus Christ once forever died and he rose. He died before Jesus died. So he was looking, he didn't have a full perspective. He understood parts of it, but he didn't have the clarity that we have. And also, John the Baptist was a voice preparing the way, and he was the friend of the bridegroom. Ladies and gentlemen, we are the bride. We're not just the friend, but we're the bride. So the person who is a Christian is even better positioned than John the Baptist, who was the greatest. So to summarize this, I love how Jesus looks at John's life. Instead of seeing his doubts and his discouragements, he says, John's faithful. John's strong. John's the greatest prophet. So in your doubt and in your discouragement, in your depression, I want this truth to be forever embedded on your mind. Because of Jesus, because of his work in you, God always believes in you even when you don't believe in yourself. Amen. So just a review, quick review. We've covered a lot today. Don't be afraid to come to Jesus with your doubts and disappointments. Don't run from him, run to him. Don't isolate yourself from community. You're going to be tempted to isolate because you're hurt. But truth healing is taking place in community. Ask God to show himself in word and in deed. He may not give you the exact answer, but he will show you. And you will hear that still small voice. Don't allow disappointments to derail your passion. If Satan can't get you to sin, he's going to try to steal your passion. We don't need any passionless Christians in the church. We need people set on fire from above, full of passion for God. And never forget this truth, and I want you guys to stay with me. God still believes in you, even when you don't believe in yourself. Let's say it again. God still believes in you, even when you don't believe in yourself. Let's pray. Father, your word is so powerful, I, I don't do it justice any time I talk about it. I wish I had more time to talk about your love for, for us. I wish I had more time to talk about your eternal plan in Christ. I wish I had time to talk about how you want to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ask or think. But we've run out of time. But Father, I pray in this short time we have left that your spirit spoke to us. And Father, jokingly, we said that some of us are more sensitive and some of us are harder. And we get that. But, Lord, we thank you that you speak to us wherever we're at. So, Father, I just want to pray for those right now. If you're discouraged in this room, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I pray for you that you will just listen to the voice of Jesus. You won't stop. You won't give up. You won't run away from the church or for Christ. But you will continue to believe even when circumstances don't allow it. So, Lord, encourage those people. If that's you right now, you're discouraged. Just say, Jesus, help me. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I have anxiety. Whatever it may be, just tell him. He already knows. While the believers continue to pray, 
there may be one here today that you've got a greater understanding of the cross. That Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. If you've never repented of your sins and prayed to receive Christ, right where you're sitting, say, Jesus, I need forgiveness. I need new life. I come to the cross and I lay my sin before you and I pray for your forgiveness. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. You rose again for me. And Jesus, I need new life. So please forgive me. Please come into my life. I lay it all at the cross. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the kingdom and to the family of God. Father, thank you that you're big enough, you're strong enough, and you're loving enough to handle even our biggest discouragements and doubts. And where there is a question mark, we thank you that you are always and forever will be the answer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.